Welcome to the My Canine Coach Podcast, a show that coaches dog owners on how to achieve their ideal lifestyle with and for their dogs. You'll hear from canine coach Dana as she breaks down actionable dog training protocols, explores current dog training trends, and shares insights from her own experiences owning and working with dogs. Now, here's your host, canine coach Dana. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the My Canine Coach Podcast. I'm your host, canine coach Dana, and I'm always joined by my silent co-host, Loki, who is my bohemian shepherd, who recently just turned one and a half. I actually should have announced that during the last episode, but I forgot. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, he's a year and a half, and he is in the middle of adolescence right now, and he is a shithead like (laughs) it's so annoying because he's still intact like I haven't neutered him um yet and so his body is going through a lot of like chemical as well as physical changes like his um brain matter his neurons are all changing his pathways are being twiddled down and some other ones are being strengthened and at the same time he has all of these um adult hormones that are telling him he has to like pee and sniff on everything um, and mate with other dogs. So yeah, he's like a whole, a whole fun time right now, (laughs) but um, we're getting through it. (laughs) Um, Regression happens, you know, like he's because he's flooded with all this dopey hormone stuff. And because his brain is changing, he's like really stupid. It makes stupid choices. So he regresses on stuff. And this should actually probably be an episode. I should talk about this, but um anyway we're in the middle of it right now so he's he's kind of annoying but he's here we're talking today about play again and uh, unfortunately for him he's going to have to suffer through yet another episode uh because i'm gonna be putting him in the same spot again saying his cues that mean that we're going to be playing and then he's just gonna have to deal with it and just hang out in the corner (laughs) so but this is for you guys sorry loki this is for you guys it has to happen Uh, So yeah, this episode is going to be a, well, part of it's going to be a follow-up to the last one, episode five, because I realized that there were some aspects of the last episode that I want to expand upon, and then there are some other stuff that I want to add that I didn't actually cover. And where I want to start with that is if you didn't listen to episode five, then go back and listen to it before tuning in here. What I cover in this episode will just make way more sense and you'll be able to follow it a lot better. You'll get um, more out of it if you go back and listen to episode five. If you haven't already and um, make sure that you get all that context first before diving into this one. All right. So if you're still listening, I'm hoping that means that you have gone and listened to episode five and now you're tuning into episode six. So you are my people. We're on the right track here. So where I want to start is, like I said, to talk about some things that either I didn't mention in the last episode or I want to expand on a couple of other elements that I just kind of touched on and didn't really go into a lot of detail in episode five. And uh, the first one is that There's an aspect of play that I kind of sort of neglected to cover in the last episode, and that's using your voice while you're playing. Now, I didn't directly talk about this. Instead, I talked about, you know, being sincere in your play and truly showing that 
you're having fun. And often when we do that, when we are sincere, that we're actually having a good time, then we naturally start to use our voice. Like our voice just becomes a part of that. It just kind of comes out because we're very vocally happy beings. And since I didn't directly talk about using your voice in the last episode, I do want to spend some time on it here because it's something that makes a big impact on and in or like during your games. And if from the last episode you took that as like be silent, um, I want to make sure that I address that and we talk about that a little bit more. Um, your affect may be that you do use your voice already, like I just said. It may just come naturally to you to use your voice while you're playing with your dog. But if you're not somebody who typically has that type of affect while they're playing, then we need to talk about that. So playing the games is so playing the games is a social connection, right? We talked about that, which is why they help so much in building your relationship with your dog. Now, using your voice is a natural way to solidify that social connection through the game. It's uh, like a tool in your game that you can use to amp your dog up, feign like your dog is so tough, or tease your dog, or celebrate your dog. So you can use your voice strategically before the game, during the game while you're in it or after the game to really make it fun and motivating for your dog. But what happens when I tell people to play with their dog is that usually they're so focused on all the other things that they have to do right that they become silent players because they're like, okay, Dana told me that I need to be pulling with the same amount of force that my dog is pu- my dog is pulling against me with and I have to let go when they're pulling and then when I win, I have to be celebrating. So they're like constantly running the play through their head before it happens so that they're able to actually run the play when it happens that they kind of like forget that they should be using their voice. And so that's something that, I see happen often, especially with people who are just starting out playing games with their dogs. It's kind of awkward and clunky because we're being awkward and clunky clunky in the fact that we don't really know exactly what we're doing. We don't have the muscle memory to just play the game without thinking yet. And so because we're thinking so hard, we actually don't use our voice. And it can hinder somewhat the game but mainly it just kind of detracts from it it doesn't make it as fun or as enjoyable for our dogs not to mention it's so weird for your dog when you're not making any noise because pretty much any other time that they're interacting with you you're talking I mean think about it even when we're petting them we say things like oh that's my boy what a good boy good baby oh you're such a pretty girl or whatever, like that's my affect, that's how I talk when I do baby talk. (laughs) But we're talking to them practically all the time. So if we start playing and all of a sudden when we're playing with them, we're like radio silent, that's like really fucking weird to them. (laughs) And it throws our dogs off. So you need to use your voice when you're playing. I'm constantly making noises when I play with Loki or when I play with my client's dogs. I'll say actual words like, ooh, you're so tough. Or um, I usually say stuff like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Um, Loki's getting so excited. Uh, or 
um, when I win the toy back, like if we're playing tug, I'm always like, ha ha, loser, oh, you missed it, uh, and stuff like that. But then I'm also just like making sounds where I'm doing like, oh, or I'm like, ah, you got it, or oof, or stuff like that. Uh, whatever. It doesn't really matter what sounds you make. Those are just the sounds that I make. But you want to make sure that you're using your voice to affect the dog in the game. Um, if I actually have one of a video where I'm playing with Loki where you can hear me really well, I'll try to find that and I'll post it in the Facebook group in a couple of days. It just Usually when I record, we're really far away from the camera so that I can co cover a greater distance without going out of frame. So typically, I don't really have video where you can actually hear me really well playing. But if I have one, I'll try to put it in there. But the reason I'm harping on this so much is because sometimes when we're training, when we're training through something really difficult, we as the handler or the owner, we have to fake it till we make it. A lot of times I play with Loki to manage him through situations where I know his reactivity is likely to spill out. And I'm stressed as fuck because I don't want to add another coin into that piggy bank of reactivity and further strengthen it and further pay into that so I make sure in those moments where I'm feeling stressed or anxious because I'm worried that he's going to react that I'm being extra vocal in my play because it tricks my own brain into calming down and not cycling through the stress or the anxiety it tricks my brain into thinking like oh no no this is like a happy moment we don't have to worry so much which then helps Loki because he's not reading the stress that I'm feeling and isn't getting as stressed or as worried about the situation himself because I'm not adding to that so be vocal when you play with your dog. Use your voice. When you do, your dog's going to think, oh, she's really into this right now. She's a real player, and I'm going to bring my A game too. So that's everything I wanted to add about using your voice and being vocal. The second addition that I wanted to make to last month's episode is about the cuddles. I harped on cuddles after the game or during game breaks. And for many dogs, that's the strategy to go with to solidify bonding, but not all dogs. Case in point, enter Loki. He's like a perfect example dog. I use him all the freaking time. So I've done cuddles with Loki and I've done them since he was like eight weeks old. Like when we started doing play stuff with him, I started it probably not when he was eight weeks old because I didn't have him yet, Dana. Um, <laughs> I got him at uh, 10 weeks. So we started doing play stuff with him really, really young, though. That's the point of that. And I did the cuddles. And he would come and cuddle with me, but he would only want to do it for, like, 15 seconds. And then he wants to move away from me and then, like, plop down somewhere else. And I would get up and I would just go to that spot where he was. And then I would continue to do cuddles and just do, like... Nice calm petting and just hanging out together. But he always wants to get up and move away. Not like super far. He just wants to move a couple feet away and then lay down near me. He doesn't like direct contact. And the reason I've discovered why he does that is because he's freaking hot. <laughs> After we play, he's panting really hard. He's a really furry dog. And so he gets really overheated quickly. He also has dark black hair. So he gets really, really hot, especially if we're playing outside and it's, you know, during the warm summer months, he gets really hot. So he doesn't want me touching him or to be like in 
direct contact with him because he's trying to cool down. And so it actually makes him uncomfortable to be touching me or for me to be like directly stroking and petting him because he's like way too hot and he's like okay like get away from me get off of me I'm too hot right now I don't want that and what I actually end up doing is driving the opposite of what I want which isn't bonding it's I need to get space from that person I need to get space from my owner and that's not what I want so Loki's cuddles are us sharing the same space looking at the world together, both of us panting because we're both gassed, drinking water, but I don't tune him out and he's not allowed to tune me out. And this is why having a long line on your dog is important. I restrict where Loki goes to do his like plop down. He's not allowed to do it like 15 feet away from me, but he does get, you know, like a few feet radius around me, like somewhere between like four to like, six feet or something like that like I don't know I don't actually pay attention to how much length but enough for us to feel like we are to doing something together we're together in this moment uh, not so far enough away that we feel separate from each other and so he can get up and he can move around because that's what he wants to do he gets too hot laying in one spot he's got to get up he's got to switch and then plop down somewhere else that's totally fine but I don't want him off doing his own thing because then there's no bonding happening. And more importantly, there's, well, I shouldn't say more importantly, equally importantly, there isn't any calm passivity being built because that's actually the secret life skill that you're training during your cuddles. When the game has ended and your dog is feeling fully satiated, their energy has been exerted, they're mentally, they've worked through some stuff. Now is when... It's a great time to go and practice passive neutrality to the world. We don't want to just go straight into, hey, have some free time, go do your own thing and sniff around and explore. We want to make sure that we're doing some calm and still time because it's going to be the easiest time for us to practice that. And so we want to make sure that if our dogs are like Loki and they get really, really hot and they don't actually want us to be touching them or be in contact with us. We still do our bonding so we can solidify that relationship and also work on passive neutrality and calmness. But we make sure that we do that together and that's where having that long line will help you so that you can stop your dog from going away from you and make sure that you're sharing space together. Don't use the line to like drag them in to like have to be like right on top of you next to you. Like give them some leeway here, but just use it to prevent them from going further away. And then that allows you to practice that bonding and more importantly or equally importantly, that passive neutrality. And you don't do it forever. You just do it for a few minutes and then you can say, okay, or break or whatever you say to let your dog go have full autonomy to do whatever they want, but we just don't do it right after the game. And the reason why we don't want to just switch right into go have free time, go do whatever you want to do is because we're amping our dogs up to really high arousal levels when we play these games or most likely when we play tug, especially we're really driving their arousal level up. And if something catches their interest and they decide to go after it at the end of the game, they're still in that really heightened state. 
And that's where they can make stupid choices or run out into traffic or run out into the road after the pursuit of something because they're already amped up there. So having the line on is also just necessary to help keep them safe and help them come down from that arousal for a few minutes with you during your cuddles before you release them back out to just go explore and do their own thing. So those are just two extra aspects of play that I wanted to expand on because we didn't really touch on them much in the last episode. And before we moved on to our next game of fetch, I wanted you to have all of that information so that playing fetch goes nice and smoothly for you, which we can now shift to talking about how we teach our dogs this second game, this magical game of fetch. Now, unlike Tug, it's important you understand that Fetch is a cooperative game. Neither player is challenging the other one for possession of the ball or whatever the toy is that you end up playing Fetch with. Instead, your aim is to work together. So Tug is a competitive game. It's you versus your dog. Think uh, wrestling or chess or fantasy football, or most board games, like uh, Sorry, if you ever played Sorry, um, or even playing like pool in a pub. In all of those games, it's you versus your competitor or competitors, if it's a multiple person thing. You're trying to win while they're trying to win, and whoever is best ends up winning the game and takes the game. Fetch is a cooperative game. And these are more uncommon. Most people don't play cooperative games. Most people play competitive games. But there are cooperative games out there that we can reference. Some that you might recognize are things like relay racing or uh, bowling, if you're on a bowling team, the team aspect. Really any team sport like football, baseball, soccer, all of those are actually cooperative games within the team itself. But to those games, we tend to add a competitive element. So your team is working together. That's the cooperative part to help the unit be the best that it can be, score the highest points, run the fastest, whatever it is. But then we add this extra element of competition to it by putting you up against another cooperative team. So it's your bowling team against another one or your soccer team against another one or your relay team racing another relay team for the best time. But the team aspect of it is cooperative. We have to work together in order to achieve our goal. We just tend to, as humans, add competition because we find it more exciting to watch things that are competitive rather than cooperative. So because Fetch is a cooperative game, relationship building is the bread and butter of Fetch. Cooperative games are more focused on establishing communication, trust, commitment, follow through, all of those really great elements of relationship. It's also often a lower arousal game, especially when you compare it to tug. Now, I say often 
because I can't speak for all dogs, but usually it's with less arousal and what you get actually instead is more focus. Tug is very much high arousal, quick thinking, acting quickly. And so you get a dog that's very strategic. They really try uh, out a lot of different ways to win the game. And that ends up building a dog that will test things to figure out how to get the answer. They offer a lot of behaviors or they just try to go about things in different ways in order to get what they want. That's a dog who's very strategic. Tug brings that arousal down and because we're lowering arousal, we actually increase focus. So there's a lot of following the ball, finding the ball, getting the ball, bringing it back. It's a lot of focus on achieving one singular goal. And so we get a dog that's able to stay on task really well. That translates into other types of training. Like we have a dog who can hold it down for a really long time or hold a sit for a while or keep eye contact with you and not look at the thing over there because they have built up really solid focus. And they're really good at committing to something, one singular thing. So there's benefits to both games. We get the strategic dog out of the tug game. We get the courageous dog out of the tug game. We get the bonded to you, focused, committed dog out of fetch. And both of those games are excellent to play so that you end up with a well-rounded dog. But I wanted to get you guys thinking about what, skills we are developing through playing these games. Now, even though fetch is typically a game where dogs are less aroused, it's usually an easier game on the human because we are not trying to physically match our dogs. It's still a game that's physically tough on the dog, but in a different way, right? They're sprinting full speed, full force once they get into the game. Then they are suddenly stopping so they can get the ball and pick it up and then pivoting and suddenly starting and trying to sprint at full speed back if that's the type of dog you have or at least just suddenly starting and driving back to you at whatever speed they do when they come back. It's usually not as high as when they're going out to get the ball, but it is really hard on their body. And that's something that I do want to touch on briefly because young dogs should be handicapped when they're playing fetch until their bones, their tendons, and their growth plates are fully developed. The same goes for tug, actually. So there you go. There's another addition to our last episode. But with fetch, the hardness on the body comes in with the starting, the stopping, and the juking suddenly. Depending on the size of your dog, you will have a physically fully developed dog by the age like one and a half to two years old, sometimes two and a half if you have like a really super giant breed. So from eight weeks old through that age range that I just mentioned, I highly, highly encourage you to add safety measures to your game. Don't throw the ball very far so that your dog isn't getting up to top speed and sprinting full force after it. Let your dog sight it also before taking off, right? So you want to make sure that if you can, make sure your dog is seeing the direction that it's going, is seeing where it's going to land so they have a clear path to take so they're not juking. And also roll the ball instead of throw it Because if you throw it, depending on the material of the ball, most likely when it lands, it's going to bounce funny, which could 
then get your dog juking out there. We don't want that. So rolling is often the safer way to go because the ball isn't really going to change its course or change path very suddenly, most likely. And so your dog is probably going to be running in a straight line rather than juking left or right. And then the last handicap is to make sure that you're throwing the ball in the direction that your dog is already facing. Even if that means that you have to throw it behind you, that prevents your dog from having to spin on the spot to take off in the direction of the ball and you're not putting so much stress on their body. Now, once your game is established, if you can get away with this handicap, this is actually the safest handicap measure to put in place, and that's having your dog wait with you while the ball is in motion. So you have your dog with you, like either in a sit or a down or just a general stay. You throw or roll the ball. The ball stops moving, and then you send your dog to go get it. That's the safest way when we're talking about keeping our dogs physically healthy to play fetch. But it's not something that you can do right away when you're teaching the game because your dog has very little motivation to do all of that work of, I got to stay here, I got to stay here, I got to stay here. Okay, I see it. Okay, it's not moving. Is mom going to send me? Is mom going to send me? I don't know. I'm really trying really, really hard. They don't have a lot of motivation to put in all that effort for something that they just don't value yet, especially in the beginning because they don't really have a concept of this game being a really fun thing that I really like yet. So when your dog is young, that's when it's crucial that you're putting in these handicaps and most likely you don't already have a pre-established game of fetch. So just use the handicaps that I mentioned where we don't throw the ball very far so we're not getting our dogs up to their full capacity. We are rolling the ball so that it's not changing direction as they're following it. We throw it in the direction or we roll it in the direction that our dog is already facing so that they're not pivoting or turning suddenly. And by throwing it in the direction that they're already facing, they can sight it the whole time so they don't have to suddenly change direction when the ball just magically appears in their eye line. Now, when we teach this new game, we need to have two goals in mind. And I pause here again for credit once more. I learned this method of teaching fetch as a game from Ivan Balabanov. Now, the two goals that I mentioned are his two goals, and they are one, to show that the game is not about possessing the ball. It's not about you have it, now I have it, now you have it, now I have it. That's not the purpose of the game. And secondly, we need to show the dog, we have to have a goal to show the dog and teach the dog that we mutually agree to exchange the ball or the toy or whatever it is without hesitation, because there's trust there, and we trust that neither one is trying to cheat the other one. There's no trickery involved in getting the toy back. It's we just trust, inherently trust each other. And without hesitation, we're willing to give that ball up. If we achieve these two goals, we are able to then present ourselves to our dog as an actual teammate rather than a competitor or a person in command, which makes the game of fetch unrivaled to any other type of interaction that you have with your dog in terms of the degree of bonding and relationship and trust that it creates. And that's because we're not competing for possession of the toy. 
we fully intend and express that we're going to just give it right back to them. It's not about us having it once we do have it. And we're not taking it from them by tricking them into giving it to us. So we get that understanding that we are a fellow teammate to them. We're not a competitor or we're not the person in command. Now, before we start teaching our dogs to play fetch, we need to have a couple things in place. One, we need to have a long line on our dog. In tug, we kind of barely used the long line. I barely really touched on it. But in the beginning of teaching fetch, we use it practically on every single throw. So you need to make sure that you have a long line on your dog. We need to make sure that our dog has gone potty. And we also need to make sure that we're playing in a space where there is little to no distractions that could draw their attention out of the game. And we just need to have room to play the actual game. Like we need room to throw the ball a distance and them to have room to run around and play. Now, when I play this game, I prefer to have balls that are on a rope for safety purposes, not for getting the ball back, but just for safety purposes. The balls themselves can get stuck in a dog's throat. I don't know if you people, if you are on Instagram or Facebook or any of the social medias, you may have seen videos in your feed of dogs at the vet that are getting balls dislodged from their throat like they're under anesthesia and they're like passed out and the vet or the vet tech is there to like squeeze or push the ball out of the throat because it got stuck in the throat. So I always make sure that when I'm playing with a ball, that that ball has a rope on it. Or at the very least, it's one of those balls that has a hole on either side and it's hollow through the center. Those are made that way on purpose so that if a dog does swallow the ball, hopefully it gets lodged in the throat. Well, not hopefully it gets lodged in the throat, but when it gets lodged in the throat, hopefully it is stuck in a way that air is still able to pass through the ball. There was a video that was circulating recently that Larry Crone put out where the ball got stuck in his German Shepherd's throat and he didn't realize at first that that was what was happening. And then once he did, he was able to grab the rope that was still sticking out of his dog's mouth and yank and pull the ball out of his dog's throat. So saved his dog from asphyxiating. So anyway, I like to use balls that have ropes on them just for safety if you don't have one of those, at least make sure that you have a ball that has a hole on either end of it and it's hollow in the center so air can get through. But if you don't even want to use a ball, that's totally fine. You can use the same toy that you used for tug or really any toy at all that your dog likes or would like to play with. It really doesn't matter. They just need to be able to pick it up and bring it to you. <laughs> so when we start to play this game, we're going to use the same cues that we learned in the last episode to start the game give permission to get the toy, and end the game. So step one is to use your starting the game cue. Once you have all those other things all set up or ready to go, we're going to use our ready command, which tells our dog that you two are about to play. And there we go. Loki just perked up. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. And then we're going to say, get it, and roll the ball away from us meaning you and your dog, making sure that your dog saw it from the moment you held it up to the moment it stopped rolling. Remember, we're rolling it in the direction that they're already facing and so that they can track the whole thing. 
That's really crucial if you're starting out teaching your dog to play fetch when they're a puppy. And this is because they have a really hard time tracking objects at that age. Um, and they also are very easily distracted. So we want to make sure they see the whole thing so they have an exact picture of where it started, where it stopped, so they can go get it. Step number three is to use your body language and your voice to encourage them to go get it. Now, again, you must be sincere about your play, just like we talked about in the last episode. If your dog doesn't go after the ball, you still need to have the affect of this is the best thing in the world right now. I'm having the best time. Don't worry if your dog doesn't chase after the ball right away. You just need to make sure that you're putting on a big show that you're having the best time of your life. If your dog doesn't go for it, you rolled it, they don't go for it, you're encouraging them to go get it, you're showing that you're having a good time, what I want you to do instead is that you go get it. So you give them a couple seconds to try and see if they'll just go after it or take a step towards it or anything like that. If they don't go and commit to it, then you're going to get up and very happily, fun, playfully go get the ball yourself. Then you're going to show them that you have it and then you're going to roll it again and see if they'll go chase it. Right now, we are not using our long line at all to make our dogs come to us or to make our dogs go chase it. I only want you to have it there to make sure that your dog doesn't blow you off and check out of the game by walking off or just going to sniff something. And even if they do something like that, I just want you to use the line, like just step on it to stop their movement or progression away from you, but don't pull them back in towards you. I don't want you to force them or make them play the game that's no fun that's not a game that's listening to a commander or you know somebody in charge or a leader that's doing what the leader says that you should be doing right now that's not willingly playing a game so you just use it to stop them from moving away from you or checking out at this point if your dog is engaging with the ball you're going to move past step three but i just want to stay here for a little bit for our dogs who aren't so motivated to go chase things right away. You just need to make it seem like you're having the best time with that ball. Pick it up, bounce it, roll it, have a good time. When it stops, you go get it, maybe kick it. Like actually act like you're a kid again and you're just playing with a toy for the first time and you're encouraging and inviting your dog to play with you. You want to do that until your dog does engage with the ball. Now, if after like 15 minutes of all of that, your dog isn't interested, they haven't gone and played with the ball, then I just want you to end that session by saying you're all done to let your dog know that the playtime is over, the game is over, and then do your dog's preferred version of cuddles, either just petting them or just hanging out. During cuddles, make sure you have the ball with you though, so that if they want to, they can explore it, it's available for them, that may spark some curiosity so that the next time you go to play, they'll be more interested in going after the toy or the ball. Then after about, you know, five minutes or so like that, you can stop your cuddles. You can say, okay, or break and let your dog go do their thing. And then I just want you to try that again the next day. So you're going to do another session the next day and you're going to repeat. You're going to be on step three. You're going to repeat step three until your dog engages with the ball. Your dog will want to engage and mimic you eventually if you show sincerity in the fun that you're having. When your dog does eventually try to chase the ball, whether that's the first time you start step three or after like, 
I don't know, 10 sessions of it. Doesn't really matter what the number is. But once your dog does actually try and chase after the ball and play, then you can move on to step four, which is where our focus shifts to encouraging your dog to consistently chase the ball and catch it. That's our only goal. We're not concerned with teaching them to bring the toy back to us at this point. Depending on your dog and your relationship, what is likely going to happen is they're either going to chase it and they're going to bring it right back to you if your dog is like a Velcro dog and they like being with you or you've done a lot of like training or play and stuff like that and your dog sees you as really high value, they'll want to bring the toy back to you. But if that's not the case... Then the other thing that typically happens is the dog goes after it, they catch it, and either they just plop down right there where they got it or they pick it up and they just bring it somewhere else Then they plop down there and they chew on it or play with it. In either of those scenarios, that's all we're looking for in step four. We just want to cultivate our dog's desire to chase the ball and catch it. And step four should be phased through pretty quickly once we enter it. So like we enter it once the dog starts engaging with the ball. And typically, once a dog starts engaging with the ball while we're rolling it, they just start to engage every single time we roll it. So you move in and out of step four pretty quickly. It's really common to just switch right through it in one training session. And when you do, what you're going to do is move on to phase five, where we start adding encouragement and some long line work to teach the dog that coming back to us is actually part of this game. So once you get that commitment that they're like, hey, I like chasing this ball and I like catching it, then we start to add in that final piece of, hey, by the way, I'm also a player in this game too. And guess what? I'm on your team. So you need to bring the ball back to me in order for us to cooperatively play this game together. Now, if you have a dog who from the get-go, wants to bring the toy back to you, like, you're golden. You can actually skip step five. I mean, still listen to it, but you can pretty much skip step five and move right on to step six. But for most dogs, they don't really want to bring the toy back. Like, they just go, they chase it, they catch it, and then they're like, woohoo, I got it. I'm going to hang out with it over here. Hey, mom, I'm, like, over here having fun. So we need to make sure that we do enter step five so that we can start to, again, teach them that we are actually part of this game, man. Like, you got to play together with me this is not like a solo venture so if you have that dog who chases it gets the toy but doesn't come back to you after they grab it then I want you to use your voice and your body to encourage them to come back into your space and what I actually want you to do is counter your initial instincts of trying to go to them and once they pick that ball up what I actually want you to do is try backing up and encouraging them to come back to you and chase you back down with the ball. That is how you can use your body and your voice to play off their current state of play, which is to chase, and it redirects that state of play back onto you so that now they're chasing you down with the ball. They're already in a chasey mood, put it that way. And what we're going to do is as soon as they pick that ball up, as soon as they acquire it, you're going to backpedal. You're going to go, oh, come on. You got it. Come on. Woohoo! Come this way. Come this way. Oh, good boy. Good girl. Come on. Come get it. And you're going to be backpedaling and being really exciting as you're backpedaling quickly or sidestepping if you can't backpedal and you're going to fall on your butt, <laughs> sidestepping to try and elicit that chase and redirect that chase attention back onto you so that they then come into you. 
Now, if you're trying all of that and your dog is just like, nope, I'm going over here with my ball, then what I want you to do is just pick up the long line and stop their momentum so they can't continue to move away from you. And then I just want you to follow it hand over hand as if you're going to meet them where they are or where they are headed. So when I say stop their momentum, I mean wherever it is that you pick that line up, that means they have a radius of length of line that they can move in a circle around you. They can still move, but they can't in any direction move farther away from you. And then what you're going to do is just creep up the line. So that radius just becomes shorter and shorter and shorter. And they can still move around. I don't want you to think that they can't move. That's totally allowed. They just can't move further away. And eventually you'll just get to the end of it where you just both happen to end up in the same spot together. So your aim should be to arrive at the same location at the same time, essentially. So whatever location it is that they're traveling towards, you kind of want to make it seem like, hey, we both just kind of arrived here at the same time. Oh, that's so weird. You come here often. So um, don't pull your dog back to you. That's really important. Just like I talked about in the beginning of all these steps, you don't want to force your dog to play this game. That's not the whole point of this game. This game is cooperative. So we're never going to make our dogs come back to us by pulling them back in with the line. What we want to do is make sure that our dog has as equal freedom as we do in the game so that they develop a desire to interact with us rather than feel forced to interact with us. So just use that line to stop them from continuing away from you, but don't pull them back in and force them to come to you. When you do get to them, then I want you to stay there for a few moments and let them come into your space. And this is crucial. Now, you just arrived at the same point as they did, but you just happen to both show up there at the same time. (laughs) They're not really tuned in with you yet. So what I want you to do in that moment is do a little bit of cuddles, be happy and playful that you're together, but don't try to get that ball back right away because we're not trying to possess it, right? This is not a competition game. This is a cooperative game. And if as soon as we get back there, we try to get that ball back, then that's going to cause conflict and conflict causes competition. And now we're no longer playing fetch. So just use that line to prevent your dog from moving further away. Don't pull them in, but keep them on a short leash so that your hand is pretty much like right near their, you know, their body, their shoulder, and just pet them, be with them in that moment and enjoy both of your silliness. And after a minute or so, you can neutrally get that toy back. And the way that you do that is just to hold the line so they can't go further away from you. And then with your other hand, you're going to reach up and under their chin to get a hold on the ball and then lift up and roll the ball out of their mouth and make sure that you're gentle and natural about it so your dog doesn't feel like you're, you know, reaching in there, gripping and snatching the ball out of their mouth. When you do this, you're going to say drop it or mine or out or whatever your command is that you want it to be to teach your dog to let go of things or drop things out of their mouth. And this is how we start to pair that sound of that command with the act of dropping something out of their mouth. Reaching up and under the jaw and then rolling the ball out is just the easiest way to get a ball out of a dog's mouth. 
they don't have like the best grip on it that way and usually just comes out quite easily. And because it comes out quite easily, it doesn't feel to them like you're trying to snatch it. And so it's a nice neutral way to get that ball back. Notice here how I didn't say grab the string and pull the toy out of the dog's mouth. If you're playing with a ball on a rope, you need to let go of that natural instinct to grab the rope to get the toy back. Um, if you do that, naturally what will happen is when you go to grab it, your dog will feel that tension and they'll try to pull away from it naturally. It's called uh, oppositional reflex. And now you're actually playing tug and we're not doing that. <laughs> we're playing fetch. So don't grab the rope. Just try to reach under the chin and get a hold of the ball and roll the ball out. When you do get the toy back, make sure that you hold it still. You don't want to be waving it around. If you do that, how that appears to your dog is as if you're gloating that you now have it. And a lot of people will instinctively do that because they think, oh, I need to wave it around and like kind of tease my dog to make them motivated to want to go get the ball after I throw it. But your teasing is actually turning it into a competition. You're saying, ooh, look what I have. I have it. You don't have it. And yeah, that is going to make your dog want to go after it as soon as you let it go. But for all the wrong reasons, they want to go after it because now they're like, oh, I'm going to get it now so that that person can't have it. And now we're not playing fetch anymore. So when you do get that ball back, make sure that you hold it still and you hold it so that your dog can see it. You're not trying to hold it behind your back or anything like that or under your leg if you're sitting down or something like that. You're not trying to hide it. Your dog should be able to see it and it's not moving around so that we're not teasing them. We're just showing them like, hey, I'm part of this game too. Hey, thanks for giving me that ball back. Now what I'm going to do is toss it a short distance away again so that you can go get it. And you're just going to repeat that over and over and over again. You're going to continue and stick with step five to show your dog that you're part of this game too and you're doing it together. You're arriving where they land with the toy. You're enjoying closeness. And then you're going again for another toss. As soon as we get that ball back, we're going to make sure our dog still sees that we have it. And as soon as they see that we have it, we're going to do another roll or we're going to do another toss so that our dog can go get it. What you're looking for to know that you can move on from step five is your dog beginning to actually choose to come back towards you or to you. Now, it's uncommon for that to happen the first time you work on step five. That's likely something that's going to take a few play sessions if you're starting out with a dog that didn't want to bring it back to you from the get-go. And that's actually super normal because most of our lives, we're actually living in conflict with our dog. We are their competitor a lot. They want to go sniff something. We block them with the leash, playing defense against their offense of trying to get to the scent. They jump up on the table. We push them down, defending their attempt to get stuff off the table. And even when we're not living in direct conflict, we're leading the team. We're the coach asking for skill and effort from them, like asking them to sit while we put their leash on or making them wait at the door before we walk through or putting them on the bench per se when we can't coach them, AKA putting them in the crate or putting them on place. Now, I don't say this to paint the picture that you should have no expectations for your dog and you should let them have full autonomy because if you do that, then, well, that's the absence of a relationship. You just happen to exist around them in that particular scenario. What I am trying to say though, or what I am trying to highlight is that there are very little instances when you and your dog are equals working together to achieve a goal. So when we show that picture to our dogs, 
it's like they don't believe us right away because it never happens. So they don't bring the ball straight back to you. They hopefully don't guard it either. I mean, we talked about that in the last episode, but they just don't have intentions of involving you as a teammate because they've never interacted with you in that capacity. They're probably waiting for direction from their coach. If we can get into the mind of the dog here, or they're just doing what they want until their coach calls them off the bench. So convincing them that you are there as a playmate and not a competitor and not a coach takes some time and many instances of showing them that picture or that side of you. So step five may take you a while, but don't give up on it. Once our dogs are starting to believe it and they're like, okay, I think my owner is actually trying to play together with me. You'll know that that's their new mindset, that they see you as a teammate because they'll start gravitating back towards you with the ball after they get it, or they may even come all the way back to you. And when you notice this, then you can move on to step six. Now, during those moments in your game, when that does happen, when your dog brings the toy back near you or directly to you, do not reach out and grab the toy or get the toy the instance that they come back into your space. You want to let them enter your space and be in it and commit to being with you and you guys being together in that moment before you go and reach for that toy. Because they just started to trust and think that you're there as a teammate and you don't want to ruin it and fuck it up by taking that moment of trust and doing something that potentially if we do it a little wrong or if our emotions are a little off when we do it, could cause conflict by getting that toy back. Loki does this thing, and he's always done this since he was a puppy, where he brings the ball back towards me and he circles behind me and then dives under my leg. Because usually when I'm playing fetch with him, I'm sitting on the ground. And so he'll start coming towards me after he's gotten the ball, and it looks like he's coming right back to me. But then... Like a few feet away, he'll veer off to the left or the right and he'll circle right around me and then dive his head under my leg. And when he does this, his like neck and his shoulders are underneath my knee. And so it's just his little head laying in my lap or sometimes just like in the space between my legs, just laying there happy as can be, chewing on the ball and laying on his side and being goofy. And this is his way of showing me that he wants to keep playing with me. If I have a video of that, I'll try to find it and post it in the Facebook group. But that's him saying, hey, I know we're doing this together. We're in this as teammates right now. Let's go again. Let's keep playing together. So let your dog show you that they want you to play with them. Keep your body language inviting and encouraging and your dog will naturally want to bring the toy back to you because of the comfort that they feel towards you in this game. Use your long line to prevent them from going away, like going further away from you, but don't use it to pull them in. Let them draw into you. You can choke up on it as they come in closer and closer so that you can solidify that choice of, hey, you remember you wanted to come into my space and be with me, but just don't pull them in. And then once they're in there and you're having just some cuddle time, or if your dog is dive bombing under your leg like Loki does, then you can repeat your drop it technique and do another toss. Over time, 
And with daily practice, your dog will learn that fetch is about playing together and it's not about winning. The goal of fetch is not actually to win. There's really no winning component involved in it. Your dog really doesn't have a concept of like, oh, we did 10 throws today. We did two more than we did yesterday. Yeah, that's a win. Like they don't really have that concept of understanding. And we don't really see that game as how many throws can I do in a day, right? Like once your dog actually does really like this game, you could do probably hundreds of throws in a day and your dog will want to play the whole time. The goal of this game is to teach cooperation, is to work as a team. And when you do that and when they understand that, they will choose to return to you every single time. And even if it's just so that they can take a rest, you know, make sure you're reading your dog and recognizing when they do need breaks. Because dogs that really like fetch get really addicted to it and then they don't know when they should actually stop and take a break. And then we can get, you know, overheating or anything like that. So recognize when they need breaks. Breaks should happen together just like with tug how i said after you know a couple rounds if you and your dog need a break then you do mini cuddle session you want to make sure that you're adding bonding sessions into the middle of your play if your dog needs it and these moments of rest give your dog a chance to wind down from all the activity recover again and also recognize that hey i'm not here right now to be a competitor you can come over and rest with me i'm not gonna trick you into thinking that this is safe and you can come over with your toy and drop it and hang out with me and then steal the toy that's not what this is about this is about just hey if you need a break like we can take a break together we're on the same team and then after your break you go right back to playing fetch again you just do a couple more throws when your game is over, make sure you say your all done cue and then you do your cuddles or distance bonding for a few minutes before going back inside or saying you're free or break or okay to let your dog know that they can go and have full autonomy, you know, within reason, safety wise, uh, but just they're free to go be a dog. Depending on the dog, they might actually want to just stay right next to you. And if they do, then just let them do that. That's what they want to do in that moment. You told them that they could get up and go do their thing, but they're like, eh, I just kind of want to hang out here next to you. So, you know, make sure that you do tell them that they can get up and go do what they like and that the cuddles are over. But if they choose to hang out with you, then, uh, you know, take that as, wow, my dog really loves me <laughs> and really likes being in my company and feel really good and prideful about it and just let them be there. That's something else, actually, that I didn't harp on in the last episode, but it is important. All of these cues that I'm talking about give your dog clarity about what they're doing with you at any given time and what energy or arousal state they should be in. So you're ready or you're get it, which means you can go get the ball, which, by the way, every time you toss it, you should be saying get it first before you toss it so that we're building that cue as well and your all done cue and your break or okay cue meaning you can go do your own thing all of those are incredibly important and a lot of this I've actually learned from Jay Jack of Next Level Dogs so I do want to give credit there but these cues help your dog understand what's going on and when it's time to move on to the next thing rather than choosing on their own to move on to the next thing and tuning you out of that choice they look to you for guidance and they have clear understanding of, okay, now's the time where you can be 
crazy balls to the wall, go nutso. Now's the time where, hey, I need you to calm down, but I need you to hang out with me for a minute. Just, you know, be in this space, be chill, relax, but you're not allowed to just like go ignore me. And then, oh, here's the cue. You can go ignore me, you know, to some degree. You can go ignore me now, go do your own thing and don't worry about me. Just, you know, make sure that you are tuned in. If I need you to come back, I have cues that I can get you to come back to me for. We could say ready again. We can start the game again. If we have other cues that our dog knows, we can use those to get our dog to come back. So that's it. Practice and cooperation is really all you need in teaching this game, teaching fetch. This is a long game for sure. Training fetches a long game. It takes many sessions to teach a really good cooperative game of fetch, but it's incredibly better than teaching a formal fetch of you go get this item for me. That's more of a coach to player relationship or exchange. I coach you on what I want you to do and you do it because it benefits you. This game of fetch gives you so much more in terms of cooperation, trust, joy, and just relationship in general. So have fun with it and show me your game. Join the Facebook group for the podcast and post a video of your game in there, whether it's tug or fetch and whether you just started today after listening to this podcast or you've been working on it for a month since the last podcast. Everybody starts somewhere. And I'll just be happy to see you guys taking these more instructional episodes and doing cool stuff with them. So join the Facebook group to connect with other cool dog people, crowdsource help and inspiration and post your play videos so that you can make me happy and make my day. (laughs) If you liked this episode and found some value in it, share it with a fellow dog owner and then subscribe them to the show so that they get notifications when future episodes drop. If you'd like to get in touch with me about training or to give feedback or ask a question, the best way to do that is by visiting my website, myk9coach.com, and requesting a consultation or sending me an email at k9coachdana.com, both of which are listed in the show notes. You can also subscribe to the email list via the website to get updates on all things Canine Coach, get training tips, alerts when episodes drop, and for my email list people, I send a newsletter in the middle of each month that recaps all the major points of that month's podcast episode. So you don't have to go back and listen to the full episode to review all of those highlights. So last month, the newsletter went out, listed all of the steps of how to teach Tug. So you don't have to listen to the whole episode. You could just go back and review the email. So jump on that if you want those emails. But most importantly, please like and write a review of my show to help it grow. And that's it for this episode. I'll see you next time. Loki and I are going to go outside and play our games. 